Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Pinchas, which is uh, Phineas, Numbers, chapter 25, through 30, verse 1. It depends on, on, on how your Bible is broken up. Some of you will end at the end, the last verse 29. My, mine ends on 30, verse 1. A lot of names. A lot of bulls. Bulls, lambs, and rams. And the wife pointed out, and a partridge, a pear tree. Yeah, Larry's yes, going to stand Larry. up. Larry, go ahead, Larry. I have to admit that this is some of the hardest part of the whole tour that I have with who could afford all that stuff? How are they supposed to do all that? <laughs> Great question. I have a question for you. I can fire it back. You ready? Here it comes. How much can your city afford? I don't think our city can even afford all that. <laughs> our city is a city of Healdsburg as well. Like 12,000 people, give or take. It varies some little bit when who you, who you ask. So if we have a city of 12,000, they have a city of 600,000. So let's put, let's place this as a city. Uh, let's uh, what? This is the size of San Francisco, right? About six hundred thousand people, give or take. It, it, maybe, maybe a little. Is that maybe a little? I can't remember how big San Francisco is. It's pretty big. Yeah, San Francisco probably is about seven hundred fifty thousand. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so if 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 our governor can we give away billions of dollars because he miraculously found it uh, and didn't realize it was there before, to give away millions and millions of dollars away for vaccine lotteries, was it fifteen million something like that? I'm sure that the 600,000 600, people here could probably squeeze together a few uh, th- these animals in a given year span. Uh, for example, uh, what the farm we get our beef from, I can't remember how many, how many they raise a year. It's got to be somewhere around 20 or more. More than that, probably, probably 50 or... It, it's a lot. They've got a lot. That's one plot of land. So in our county, there's probably in the hundreds or tens, at least tens, hundreds, nearly 100,000 animals raised for slaughtering in our county alone every year. And our county alone, which is, I don't know, I forget how big it is. It's probably, it's probably, probably six, six or 700,000 people in our county. Um, that's about what it would extend here in this, as far as quantity here. And we're in the tens of thousands, about 100,000 animals raised for slaughter in our county every year. I imagine they can probably handle the few hundred we're dealing with here. <laughs> These guys are out in the out in the desert, though. Out in the that's wilderness. true. That's true. They are, and God provided for them. So whatever their animals need for 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 survival, their clothes didn't wear out. Yeah, that's true. So, and he's pointing out in this instance, he's giving this instruction regarding what they're going to be doing uh, with into the land. So this is what their 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 new this is um the new norm. So what, 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 what is going to be, the reason I say what's going to be, because you know, it says libation. Libation doesn't apply unless you have grapes. You don't have grapes unless you grow them or harvest them. You can't grow and harvest unless you have land, you, crop, you, you build it. So this is, these are applied to people. This is about to cross the Jordan River into Jericho, into that area of Jericho. Once they cross that river, this is what, this is what the requirement will be. So you have a, a land of Israel, so to speak, with all the crops and everything else that grows there to provide the items needed here. It does seem like a lot for a small number of people, but 
I believe in a given day, more than this is slaughtered in our own county every day in order to just feed it. So this is not, uh, this is doing it over a given year span where our county consumes this in a given day. This is not too shocking of, a, of, of an amount. So in our county... When, when, when David was when David was doing it, he had different the elders of certain of the each different tribe would come forth on a given month, and they would provide that. Is that what that was? Yep, about? yep, 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 yep. That's how that's how he ran it. And so uh, it's it's no different than potentially living someone kind of use that example. It works pretty well. We have about the same number of people in our county as this did here, give or take. And each town or village or city in the county has its own supply, what it can supply for a given month or a given, given period of time. So it's not as astronomically huge as you can imagine it to be, uh, as far as the sheer numbers being consumed. So in my and that was view, mostly to feed the, to feed the Levites? Uh, th- th- well, not all this was for feeding. Uh, some was, was shared, some was not. So it kind of varied a bit. Uh, in the case of the feasts, yeah, the Levite tribes got the majority of it for, for consumption purposes so they can eat. But uh, this is not, uh, not all of it is consumed by them. Some of it is shared. Now, note the list here for numbers does not include, for example, the Passover lamb was not listed amongst them. Uh, the, other la- the other offering for Shavuot, or also known as the Feast, the Feast of Weeks, is listed here, does not list the, uh, the additional. Uh, Shalomim offering that's also in, also added to that holy day. So there's there's these requirements which will be done on the altar, but there's also other offerings also done for that's shared amongst the people too. And I forgot, and I believe the kings. I think one of the kings records how much is consumed on a daily daily or annual basis, as far as just their, their just their their royal entourage, and their royal entourage is significantly smaller. The number of people here out of Egypt, and their royal entourage on, on a, it was an annual basis uh, was far more than what these guys are are, are killing off in a given year. So it, it's it's quite uh, it's quite elaborate at times as far as the number the number of things that uh, they're offered here seem like a lot, but in reality, we should, when you look at the sheer number of people, this is insignificant. This is almost nothing. If you went on this route alone, the animals would, pro- would, would pro- proliferate. Uh, pro- proliferate? But they, would, they would populate quickly. <laughs> as far as, as of not 2019, Sonoma County had 494,336 people. All right. So we're not, we're not even quite as big as this. And we're still, we still consume more than that. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Take your word for it. <laughs> well, yeah. If you, if you contact the local butchers, how many animals the butchers process in a given given day? Uh, the Ibletto, uh, Willowside, uh, Buds meats. Anyway, the butchers they're going through in the in, in, in the, the, the tens and twenties of each species of animals in a day. So you could add th- that's just those three, and not not, that not including was that is that an assignment? It's, 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 it's what they, it's what it's what comes in. It's from from the various harvest, various ranchers and such. And they're only, they, they, that doesn't include the stuff that's brought in from other counties, from the local, like Safeway, for example, that, that brings and buys and brings stuff in all the time. So it's, it's a lot of animals are slaughtered in our county. Yeah, the FDA, yeah, the, yeah that's not the FDA approved slaughterhouses, which most of you guys are show you by FDA or USDA you know, meat that's all been approved. This is the non-USDA meat. 
and that's those those that's those three or four different slaughterhouses. There's there's a lot of animals slaughtered and killed in our county every day, uh, just to feed it, and we're far lower than the most. Oh, he's on a screen. Hold on a minute here. This is the 2019 Sonoma County crop report showing livestock and poultry. Yeah, so <laughs> thirty thousand cattle. Uh, 30, well. 30,000 sheep, 2,000 hogs. Yeah, that's a lot of animals. That's a given year. So, it, it, and, and, and we have, you know, what you point out, basically half a million people. And, 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 and that's just our county. That's not the animals that are brought in. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. As you, as you can see, the number on, on your screen as you can see it, if you're slaughtering 30,000 cattle a year in our county, and 30,000 sheep lamb a year in our county just to feed it, not include the stuff that's brought in. Tens, these, these are astronomically huge numbers compared to what's being listed here in our, in our Bibles, which are pathetically small in comparison. You move the dust point over three spaces, almost two spaces, and you might get somewhere close. And they had have, they have more people. It tells you that their primary diet was not meat. If that if this, if this, these numbers are even close to accurate, so anyhow, yeah, I do. It, I do realize it seems like a lot of animals being slaughtered and burned and slaughtered and burned and slaughtered and burned. When you look at it in this perspective, but reality is, it really isn't that many. Uh, it's just funny. It's just how 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 our how our, our our sensibilities are because we are all city folk. We don't raise our own animals to to realize how many we're actually slaughtering or consuming in a given family. Uh, my family alone eats one steer a year, plus usually a couple of lambs and some chicken, 12 chickens a month. I mean, it, it, it adds up pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, two lambs, oh, two, two to four lambs a year, one steer, 12 chickens a month, and yeah, five dozen eggs a week. There's a lot of animal products we consume. Right? Yeah, we may not be this is typical of all families, but we're just one family. Yeah, we are, we are scaling down, so that's good. So yeah, it adds up. Uh, let's see. Other things. Any of the comments or questions about this tour portion? I know the animals seem like a lot, but the reality is they really aren't. They're insignificant. No other questions. Well, that's convenient. All right. So uh, let's see. We'll go for this. We'll start out with the beginning of this. It went into uh, Phineas. So beginning of this was talking about Phineas as far as it was the concluding or ending Phineas's story of last a uh, tour portion when, it, when, when he slaughtered uh, the two people of uh, uh, Zimri and, and Cosby with a spear because they were having a sexual misconduct issue in front of all the uh, the te- 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 meeting. So, of course, normally, as you know, those who know the Torah know full well, if person A kills person B without a trial, person A is a murderer. <laughs> That's normal law. That's Torah law. Uh, so, Phineas, uh, Pinchas, you pronounce his name, uh, he did not put on trial Zimri or Cosby in this instance. You know, quite plainly, you see, see the record. He says, oh, look what they're doing in front of everybody else. I'm not sure what everybody else is doing. You know, other than this is a weeping. He grabs a spear, runs a tent, and thrusts them both through with the spear. And no trial was, was brought up, nothing of the sort. So normally, if that occurs, as the Torah commands, a man kills another man, murders him. Uh, and then the avenger of blood, which is a relative of that man, was to come through and fight or kill off the murderer. That's the law. The only exception being, of course, if the murderer 
flees to a city of refuge, and then a trial is taking place and they determine if the murderer is you know, guilty or not. Phineas did not have such a situation. He did not go through a court of law. He didn't go through a court of law. He did not uh, uh, do anything of the sort. He, he, he spun on his own to do this, and God said, oh, kill him now. No. God's reply was, give him peace, which means you cannot avenge him for this. The covenant of peace means he will live. So God is pardoning Phineas's murder, if you use the quotes, murder, that he did of Zimri and Cosby. He's pardoning it because it was God-inspired according to what it says is his vengeance. So he himself is not liable for murder in this case. God pardoned him uh, for the reasons that he, that, he showed, that he lists here in the first few verses of this Torah portion. That he, that he said, took the zealously avenged my vengeance among them, so I did not consume the children of Israel my vengeance. So, had he not done so, more would have died. So, that was a blessing that, that he did so. And so, obviously, he got the, 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 the pardon from God in this instance. Now, I assume the Midianite family who lost their daughter Cosby uh, also was not going to try to avenge her death because it doesn't at least talk about them you know killing in this way as far as trying to avenge her death at all which you could argue is right up they but yeah maybe they never never told who knows just she went out and she never came back i'm not sure what they were told anyhow uh they never avenged his his death either it does point out here however that uh he of course is eternal priesthood now we can take that for granted. It's obvious Phineas to be the priesthood because Eleazar is dad's priest and Phineas would be the next one in line. And that would theoretically make sense. So God would not obviously kill Phineas if he's going to be the next priest. It'd be ridiculous. But keep in mind, but don't forget uh, Phineas's two uncles, and Abihu. They were supposed to be the high priest and God killed them. So just because you're in line with the high priesthood does not mean you have a pass that you can get away with whatever you want then in fact, God can still wipe you out. So it is, it, 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 as is correct, he said, well, because you're closer to him, he'll do more readily attack you because the, he says those who are close to him, I require more of them. So in this case, he could have, could have been killed for it, but of course, God pardoned him. And God said, not only am I pardoning you, I'll make sure the priesthood goes through you and your children, as opposed to Itamar, uh, his uncle, who was still alive, could have gone through him instead. Or some other sibling that Phineas has. We don't have any list of any of the siblings. So Phineas, of course, gets this covenant of peace, so he does not get killed for it. He's not no, no, no trial granted, and of course, he gets the priesthood guarantee. I want to bring it to your attention, though. There is uh, two things going on here. Verse seventeen. Uh, it, this is God speaking to Moses. He says, "Harass the Midianites and smite them." So two things you must do: harass them and smite them. For they harassed you through their conspiracy. They conspired against you in the matter of Peor and the matter of Cosby, daughter of the leader of, of Midian, their sister, who was slain the day of the plague in the matter of Peor. So there were two things that went, that, that, that went against Israel, Israel through the conspiracy of, of Midian and, and Moab. The first was, of course, the matter of Peor. So they had uh, an issue with that and that they were worshiping a false god, a false a false deity, a Baal pure, a new, a new, a new uh, religious belief system. Offerings in front of him, and of course, clearly by the description here, the offering includes sexual encounters with females in the process of that worship of pure. In the case of this instance, uh, 
that is one of the sins in the worshiping of Peor. The second one was the coercion of the women to some of these men. So there are two issues that Moab and Midian did, two, both of them combined together. We, we make sure that God, we note that God separates them out as two separate things. One's the two offenses, one's worship pure, and the other's lust for the pleasure of seduction that he obviously highlights the Midianite princess. She's sort of loosely princess. No, 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 no case she was a princess per se, but some a prominent woman at least, uh, a Midianite. And that both both can both were uh, bad decisions. Both need to be corrected. At the same time, because God does two things with one stone, that that plague that after the plague was done, verse twenty, chapter six points out quite clearly that now we had to count everybody. Why does he count everybody? Hmm. Let's think about that for a minute. A bunch of people just died. End note, you have to water wilderness for 40 years till the last generation dies. So this encounter most likely wiped out the balance, if there were that many more, I'm not sure how many were left, of the remaining 40-year-long males were still around. So the balance of this play wiped out the balance of that. I'm not sure how many there were. Could be one, could be a thousand, could be 10,000, I don't know. But they wiped out the balance of them. And now the bouts wiped out. Now we can count them and verify all of them are dead. The ones who were 20 or older, 40 years earlier, are now dead. And now they can actually cross the Jordan River because they couldn't cross it yet, nor were they allowed to inherit the land they took from Og or, or Sihon until these men were all dead. And of course, now they the 20 years of, of counting. Um, I won't go through all the numbers. We already read them uh, pretty uh, pretty obvious as far as the, the, what's going on. But I want to point out to you that uh, in the census here in this way it's taken for us, because they know you can't count a person directly, you have to do a, a little half shekel that's dropped in a container. They count the shekels. Um, but at the same time, that's slightly an inaccurate tradition. I say inaccurate is that in order for them to know that a person, there was not a man alive who was counted in the previous census that's also counted here. Counting shekels alone is not enough information to give you that. You don't know if I drop a shekel in, my wife drops one in, or my son does, you have no idea which shekel is mine, which is, or, or even if I drop one in at all. All you know is there's a shekel there. So for them to actually also know that no person dropped in their shekel, their half shekel, that was not in the original census they have to record the age or the name and the family, family, family line. So these censuses they're taking are not just strictly numbers alone. Their families listed by names, which males are there, and at least their ages are listed. Or something along those lines. They have to be counted in a particular way to verify that nobody was part of the original census, other than, of course, Joshua and Caleb and, and naturally... Eleazar and Phineas, because both those two were alive the first census, and 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 uh, Phineas may have been a child, but Eleazar was was not a child. He had a he already had a son, so they were still alive. They were probably included as well, and obviously Moses, I'm guessing too. That's just a separate detail. So, um, and these the the ones who were going to be inheritors, they these were not included. So they counted not just the shekels, but they actually had to count to record names and, and and identifications as far as families are concerned. And you will note that some of these things are counted by families. Um, in particular, bring up to your attention just, just a few minor highlights. These are minor, not terribly relevant, but just, just to be a note, noting of it. 
It starts out, of course, Reuben being the first and being counted, being the firstborn. And uh, Reuben is broken up into his family groups of Hanak, Balul, Hezron, and Carmi. Those are his four sons Reuben had. He, he, his wife, or wives, not sure how many wives he had, at least one, gave birth to them back in Canaan before they entered with Egypt with, with, with Jacob. So all four of those sons were alive in Canaan, as recorded in Genesis, far as they all came down. So they came down from Canaan as at least children, or I'm not sure the exact age, a little unclear. They could have been a little bit young adult teenagers, not sure the exact age. Could have been a little older, that hard to say. But Paulu was the second born, as far as male. They come down in Egypt. Paulu, I, finish, I assume, finishes growing up there, depending on the exact age. He has one son, Eliav. Eliav has three sons, the uh, Nimuel, Dathan, and Abiram. So while they're in Egypt, uh, Palul, he may have other sons too, or other children that's not included. Palul has at least one prominent son named Eliav. I assume it's his firstborn. It's the only one recorded. So Eliav is born in Egypt. So did on the Birim, and they come out of Egypt with Moses. So they're only in Egypt for, uh, for Eliav's lifetime and probably part of Palul's. Uh, and I'm guessing it's a portion of the Thon of Birim. I'm not sure how old they were when they died. But they come out. So uh, reality is they're in Egypt for about, at most, the sons of Reuben, about equivalent to two generations, a generation and a half, two generations. And they're in Egypt, they come out. So they're not in Egypt for all that long. We imagine it being you know, the 400 years, the traditional viewpoint, which is pretty obviously that's incorrect. But in fact, it, most of the 200 years is far more accurate. So they're in Egypt for about 200 years, or give or take. Before they're out and they're competing against Moses saying, yeah, you didn't, you didn't bring us to promised land like you promised, we're going to take over. So uh, Eliav only has, obviously, three sons. And note that he has three sons, Nimuel, Dathan, and Abiram. Nimuel did not cite or did not lean or not to grab a hold of or agree with his two younger brothers um, or their families. So they, they, they were not uh, included, obviously, in that, the rebellion process there. And we obviously, obviously the same, the same situation we, we could discuss, uh, which is also recorded for us uh, as well. Uh, discuss the, 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 the Levites as far as their genealogies and such and how many they, they survive and how many they live and also the, the sons of Manasseh. So we have a little details about that. Uh, as far as genealogy is concerned. So it records here that Levi, and we go to the, of the, the, of the genealogies. Levi, when he goes to Egypt or moves down there, he one of his wives, I'm not sure how many, how many he had or how old she was, I don't know, uh, gives birth to Yochbed while Levi is still alive. It says he, it was, he, she was born to him while he was in Egypt. So Yochbed, of course, is Moses' mom. So Levi is in Egypt. He's still alive. He gives birth, birth to, or his wife gives birth to Yochbed. There's a possibility he's still alive when Moses is born, not quite sure yet. It's a little bit heavy, it'll, a little questionable there as far as his exact age and timing and such. But she is obviously of childbearing age, and she marries uh, uh, Amram, uh, which of course is 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 her nephew. And I'm presuming he's old enough to make that happen. Uh, and that's how that 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 process is supposed to work. So uh, Liochbed, and of course, being the daughter of Levi, as far as that's 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 her dad. Uh, she she marries uh, Amram. Amram, of course, has, she's the one who's she's the mom of Moses and Aaron. So she's she essentially, for all practical purposes, 
spans a large portion, or maybe they're very old, a large portion of their entire time while they're in Egypt, as far as how old she is and her, her, whole, her whole life. We don't know her age was when she gave birth, but either way, she, she spends the whole time in Egypt. So they're really in Egypt for us. Levi is concerned about a generation or so, roughly. And the generations last about 100 to 150 years, give or take. It varies a little bit on, on the exact ages. So it, it's, not, it's not as long as we imagine being 400 years. It's most like as the Jewish calculations hit at about 210 is a time which Jacob goes down before the Israelites cross and come back across the, the Red Sea and come out. Roughly 210. They, they vary a little bit on, on a couple of years there. Um, the only thing I want to point out to you is the inheritance instruction, which will come again the next Torah portion regarding the objections. There's no such thing as a good Jewish law without objections. So uh, the inheritance brought up by Zlofadad. So uh, Manasseh, as we know, was the son of Joseph, born to Joseph while he was in Egypt, roughly around the age of 35-ish to 40, some of the exact age. We're not quite clear on how old he was when Manasseh was born necessarily. But around that time period, uh, Manasseh, of course, gave birth to his wife, birth to Machir, who gives birth to Gilead, who gives birth to Hefer, and Hefer, of course, is the dad of Zelophehad. Uh, Manasseh's family, apparently, I'm guessing, probably didn't live quite as long lives as Levi's family did. It's hard to say exactly. But Zelophehad, of course, has his three daughters, or five, five daughters. They have inheritance rules. And they come, of course, with this, this, hey, we don't get to inherit because we're not sons, and God creates or, or makes a partition or separates out a new inheritance law, a new, a new, new section that wasn't recorded before, which is if you're a female, you have no brothers or whatever, you get to inherit. Now, we'll find out later on that there was a, a stipulation. As you will know and, and pay attention to, when God makes a rule or a law to us, it comes with responsibilities. All right. So, if I have a law or a rule or give to my children or whatever, they, they, there's a rule that comes with responsibility with that rule. In this case, responsibility is quite clear that we will find out next door portion that they can inherit, but they don't get to just marry whomever they wish. Like, oh, but what about love? I love him, mom, dad. I love him. Uh, so what? <laughs> there's no romantic bone. Yes, my wife complains. There's no romantic bone in my body. That's probably true. Uh, so <laughs> it's not about love. It's about responsibility. Hey, you got to have a responsibility here. I, I love her too. Don't I'm not, not, okay. I'm going to get someone hot water here. Um, yeah, I know you're loved, right? I'll, I'll, I'll have to change topics rather quickly. Anyway, so <laughs> thanks. So uh, they're going to have to uh, have responsibility with that that comes with it. Uh, the, the, the rule is. You marry somebody within your tribe. You get to marry a cousin and something else, a nephew, whatever. Somebody within in your tribe, so the inheritance doesn't leave your tribe and go to somebody else. We think, oh, but it's not fair. The woman doesn't get to inherit normally like a son does. Well, it'd be thoroughly unfair if she did. Imagine for a moment that all the first, whether you have male or female, they have a lot of kids, right? Their first one happens to be female. Let's presume, pretend, she's one who inherits everything that you got. That's great. Fine. Wonderful. Then she gets married. Her husband has his inheritance. And guess what happened? The inheritance that you gave to her just went off and added to his. Right. In that rule, you have firstborns can't marry firstborns. But even secondborns get inheritance too. They just have a smaller amount. They still get inheritance. 
a third or fourth. <laughs> Sorry. That's, now my wife's adding rules about how, okay, so firstborns can't marry first or second otherborns. They have to go down the list as far as who you're allowed to marry. No, uh, it gets complicated real quick. So no, um, the rule is that uh, your property must stay within inside the family line itself somehow. So the family, the family tribe. Earn it. Yeah, you can earn it. No, no inheritance. But it does say a righteous man leaves inheritance for his children. It does, that's one of the Proverbs. To his, to his righteous children. Conditional. Um, anyway, so, <laughs> so there's uh, so the conditionals now. So this has a conditional in this one. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. My wife finished. She has no love bone in her body either. <laughs> it's all about conditions. <laughs> well suited together. Um, so, <laughs> so there are, there are conditions about uh, when it comes to inheritance rules. If you allowed the females to inherit and move on, you would, you would start uh, 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 accumulating mass and wealth into family groups. Individual families would continue to gain in wealth and prosperity at the expense of all others. And since and Jubilee years ago back to original owners, the, new, the families who is now the actual legal owner, they get to all, all, the, all the property, never, never returns to anybody. It just keeps returning to the same family that is built together on this, this inheritance that is rightfully theirs on both sides from both male and female side and continues to grow. So the inheritance never shrink at all. And everybody else's regular inheritance who are second, third, or fourth born would continuously lose and lose away everything they owned. So that's why they did not have females that is inheriting and generationally speaking uh, in that manner because you would then forcefully uh, consolidate all wealth and all property into a few families, a few wealthy, uh, well-connected families. Let's see other things about the inheritance that are relevant. Uh, let's see here. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, as far as inheritance are concerned, any questions about that so far before I move on? Because we move on to a different topic next. Hopefully, it's doing okay. Uh, my wife asked a question since today times are different, does that still apply today? Uh, yeah, so our national, national laws don't obey Israelite inheritance laws. So in Jubilee today, about our day, they don't, it doesn't return to anybody. Now, it's not say that God isn't making account and measuring. He may be having accounting that's making that happen. And it appears in Israel, in some ways, it sort of still does in some, some capacities. But in the case of, of like United States, they don't have the inheritance rules applied. So inheritances after 50 years of Jubilee never go back to the original owner. We have a permanent change. And the original owner is always the United States government. They own everything. So land, property, houses, they own everything. So to, when you buy a house, piece of land, all you're buying is the right to live there under the government's law. So if you choose to live not under their law by not paying them their rent, because by law, we all have to pay rent. It's called taxes, property tax. So you don't pay the property tax, so you're no longer paying rent, and they get to evict you. And they sell, sell, sell somebody else. So, so they are the always the permanent the government is always a permanent owner of all land, all houses, any property, anything you pay taxes on. They are the permanent owners of it, and it will be that way for eternity, as far until as long as they exist. So you'll never own anything. When you buy a house, you're only buying the right to rent the house as long as you live, and the rent is the tax fee. You buy property, 
you only have the right to rent the property as long as you're paying your tax fee. Now you may be paying the bank a mortgage thing, but that's oh, that's that's a rental agreement that you have between you and the bank. That's the second renter. The bank is the other renter that gets to manage it. So you you pay them as well, but your bank pays the government too, to some ways, in form of, of, of income tax. So there, there's there's what happens? The government in our nation owns everything, no matter what it is. As long as you pay tax on it, they they own it. If you don't have to pay tax anymore, that means they don't care about it. They don't want to own it anymore, and you can dispose of it or do what you want. But uh, otherwise, there's taxes. They also own your car uh, in the form of the registration tax. If you don't register it, they can fine you or cause you problems and take even impound the car if you if if you if you owe something on it you have not paid. So they, they, there's a lot of things they can do. And they are the permanent owners of all things in our nation. So I guess you could argue that instead of having the 50-year jubilee they returned to the original owner, it's continues they never left the original owner. The owner, the owner has, has always maintained ownership, which is the government. They've always maintained it. So they never have to leave it. They just rent it out to us. Uh, that's just how uh, our, our nation works. And I think it's how all nations work I, today, modern day. I could be wrong on that, but I think every nation, as long as they collect a property tax, that's how it works. Uh, um, so that's, that's a good question. So my wife brought up the next question is, so if the government owns all property, farms, land, anything, they own it all, um, the, the, the Shemitah cycles, the, the year of the land of rest, um, who's responsible for the, if you don't let your land rest? That's a good question. So even though the government owns your land, you as a renter are still using it. So it's your responsibility to maintain and take care of it on the government's behalf. So even though... You're, 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 they own it, you're, you're caring for it. So for example, if I, let's say I was back in Israel and I did sell my property for, let's say it was the middle of Jubilee, right? Or I got like you know, 20 years of Jubilee, right? The person who I'm selling it to for those number of crops, the number of crops it's led to is the number of years before the Jubilee returns back to me. But they're the ones responsible for making the land rest during the seven-year cycles because they're buying the crop years, not the actual land itself. Even though I'm the owner of the land, they're responsible for letting it rest because I rented it out to them for those 20 years for the next Jubilee. The government's same way. It's the, it's the individual person who's the renter. We call them the owners, we're not owners, the renters. Renter, there's a responsibility to make the land rest according to its cycle, not the government, even though the government owns it. Our next comment. Yeah, so, yeah. so my wife points out, so then in theory, you as a renter of the land uh, would be blessed because you follow God's rules and not uh, the, the, the government's rules. And that would be a fair assessment uh, as far as in, in that respect. That, that would be the theory or the idea behind it. Uh, yes, Larry, you, you have your hand up. Go ahead, sir. Our bodies also belong to government. Uh, in many ways, they do. Yeah, we yeah, fight that one, though. We, we, we they, allow you, that. they allow your family to take care of it. Your family doesn't take care of it. They will. Right. <laughs> they will. You're absolutely right. Uh, they, 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 do, they do. Although that's the only one that I think that most, most, some of the fighting is actually trying to resist, trying to push against that one, as far as the, body, uh, God, uh, the government owning your body, too. But well, if they, you join the army, the government do literally you. does own your body. They truly own your body. G.I. Joe. It's like, right. a, I knew somebody once who, um, he took a, a little vacation or whatever. When he was in the service, he took his little vacation, and I guess he went skiing and got himself really sunburned to the point where he needed medical intervention, and wow. he got in trouble for that. I can't remember what the, the penalty was, but there was some kind of 
basically you, when you da- you damage your body doing something stupid like getting sunburned mm-hmm. that could be considered a crime in the you know, the, the in dam- your code of military justice you're damaging government property <laughs> yeah literally you were you literally damaging damaging our property, property. Yep. doing yep. something stupid not like not putting on sunscreen when you went skiing and so right. he actually got penalized for that that's funny that's as though the sunburn wasn't bad enough right exactly yeah yeah exactly let's let's insult the injury while we're at it shall we uh Yes, yeah, so the, the government owns pretty much everything. I, I, and I don't know of any, if anybody knows of another country that doesn't do that, doesn't have proper tax rules, doesn't have the, the, the tax for the people, uh, let me know because I've not heard of them. I might move there. <laughs> but <laughs> Chaz, yeah, so she asked, how do you come your own government? Well, the, the capital, the Chaz people tried to do that, right? And look what happened, right? That didn't turn out so well. So you really can't cover your own government for very long or very well. It won't, it's not sustainable. Um, and, you know, police services and such, maybe a little complicated, but see, you could try, but you, you, you may run across a bit of, uh, of difficulties. I believe the Civil War was over that too. And didn't do so well for certain sides <laughs> to become their own government. Uh, anyhow. Uh, yeah, so yes, anyway, that's totally off topic, but that was her question regarding uh, inheritance and who's responsible uh, when it comes to these things. Let's see here. Uh, the other comment I want to point out to you also is Lofahad's daughters were wise women. They obviously noted that their father died in his own sins. They pointed out they did not say he he was he died he was separate from the from the the rebellion for Korah with Korah. He didn't die with them, um, but he died in his own sins from his own problems. Of course, the forty years of well, this was part of it. I also point out to you that it notes here that of course Korah died, but it, the Bible has stated multiple times now the Torah. Korah's sons did not agree with or follow Korah. Now Korah had three sons. I assume all three of them. It doesn't specify it, like just two, but all three of them, uh, Asir, Elkanah, and uh, Abiasaf were Korah's three sons. So they and their families did not follow Korah. They had the, the wisdom to, to avoid that. Now, this I want to bring up to you. Just think about this for, for, for a moment. We note that in Phineas's case, it is a somewhat difficult task to take upon yourself to go kill somebody who you have not had en- enmity in the past and uh, you think it's just the righteous thing to do. It is also a rather difficult thing as a son to tell your father you're screwed up. Your, 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 your thought processes are messy and, me- and messed up. They're incorrect. They're wrong against God. I'm not going to agree with you. So those three sons, or at least two of them, because it says Korah's sons, plural, we know at least two of them, but probably all three, told off their dad, essentially. said, you're crazy. I'm not obeying you. I'm not following you. What your, your thought process, what you're doing is nuts. And they said, no. That's not an easy. They 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 said Dr. Paul, That's not an easy easy thing to do as a son, uh, in particular in this t- the culture at that time. Today, okay, maybe a little more easy because we're far more lax when it comes to sons and, and, and fathers. But the respect is more is more pronounced then than it is now. But either way, the three sons did not follow, or at least two of them did not follow Korah and his philosophies and his ideas. Unlike the Thon of Biram, which of course did follow him. And uh, so the three sons, it is admirable to stand up for what is right and spit instead of following your father's instructions. Uh, we have this, uh, this, this uh, I forgot which, the, the prophets talk about this a few times, the fact that you are inheritors of your fathers instead of the inheritors of God. As far as the, the you, you inherited lies to your fathers, I forgot the reference. You inherited lies from our fathers and we, you, you believed them instead of believing the instructions God gave you. So this is an example of these two, a minimum of two, if not all three, were going to inherit the lie of their father, Korah, 
But they said, no, that's a lie. I'm not going to inherit it. I'm going to reject that instead. I'm going to accept the truth from God. Now, we don't know how old Korah's sons were at the time. They're based on Moses' age, because Korah would be about the same age as Moses and Aaron. Their sons are probably adults, in, in, in the meaning in their, most likely because Moses, Moses Moses's two sons were in their 30s and 40s. Uh, and so Aaron's son, Eleazar, was also about that same age. So most likely Korah's sons are also 30s or 40s. So they even received the same curse from Moses and from God saying, you will wander the wilderness for 40 years and die, you three sons. And Korah said, no, 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 we'll fight back. The three sons says, no, we're going to accept that we will wander the wilderness and die in the next 40 years. And dad, you're dying now. They're going to accept this fate. So it's a, it's a difficult choice. It's you copy a rock in a hard place. Do you do you obey your father's instruction, Korah, and say yes? Let's try to fight this and resist this, or do you accept the agreement that is pronounced upon you? So all three sons accepted the agreement that's pronounced upon them, and they said, "No, this is this is how it will be, and we will live this, and we will die at this die this way." And of course, Korah would not accept accept such a thing. So again, it's a difficult thing to do. I'm 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 impressed. It's one of the reasons uh, why I, the the Korah's sons get the opportunity to write a few psalms, uh, as far as the sons of Korah, uh, in, in 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 our, in our psalms, as far as songs that, they, that that those that those men wrote, as far as their praying and, and praising God, even in their facing of guaranteed death by His word. So it's it's a difficult thing to do, but that's quite impressive. At least in my book, that's impressive because most people are not that strong internally to accept those fates, those 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 pronouncements, uh, but yet they did. So that, that, that's impressive to me, at least. Maybe not to me else, but it is to me. Uh, other things brought off to you as far as the, uh, before I go into my other topic, the topic will be Joshua and, and, and the transfer of power, if I get there in time. I think I, think I will. We will note that also uh, Numbers 20, uh, 28 talks a lot about, about the animals, kill this animal, kill that animal. We talked about that briefly already as far as the number of animals slaughtered. Uh, you will also note that most of the animal cycles are pretty much the same. New moons are about the same as as as, as Shabbats, or not Shabbat, as, as other holy days and such. Not Shabbats, but the holy days. A lot of it have the same offerings given, independent, of course, of the individual holy day offering. Uh, I cannot answer the question. The question I've brought up a few times. Uh, I've I've tried the past to answer the 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 explanation of each animal uh, during Sukkot. As far as I know, obviously the bulls are easy. The 70 bulls, 70 nations, is pretty typical, pretty commonly uh, explained. Uh, the two rams being a f- for each of the days is, uh, adds up to 14 rams, not including the eighth day. And of course, uh, obviously all the, all the lambs are offered. The bulls are obvious. The rams are more complicated. You will note that in Jewish tradition, the ram's horn, we call a shofar, the ram is usually, not always, usually associated or attached in Jewish tradition with a prophet, because that's the whole point of a shofar, to declare warning and give warning to people. So these rams typically represent a prophet of some form, and uh, the lambs have been a bone of contention, so to speak, on different opinions and beliefs for what this lamb represents. For Passover, we know it's Passover lamb, the blood of the lamb protects you and such, and somehow associated with the Messiah, that's fine. Being 14 lambs each day is not a very clear association anymore because the 14 lambs don't make sense with the whole, you know, 
you know, Poseidon die 14 times a day uh, type of thing. And there's no indication here of, of lambs being a Passover offering, but rather the goat is. I want to point out one thing, which I disagree with, but I point out to you because it's there. You will note in the Sukkot that some of the days have he goats. Some say they, some, of the, some of the days have male of the goats. Jewish tradition, it's, it's 50-50. So you have half the days are he goats and half the days are male of the goats, the way the Hebrew words are worded there. And they divide the whole world. So that's because it's, it, the, the, day, the days set aside, there's um, half the world is Esau and half the world is Ishmael. That's their philosophy, their belief system. And that you either are an Ishmaelite or Esau descendant, not, by, not biology-wise, but by your, philosophically speaking. And so they, they offer that they're killing, they're killing them all off. That was the idea. Uh, I, don't, I don't subscribe to that viewpoint, but that is a, is a commonly taught viewpoint. Any questions about this so far? Because we're going to move on to uh, Joshua. Any questions thus far? No? That's great. Okay. Let's go back a little bit to chapter 27. Uh, this goes back to verse, where is it? Uh, verse 15. Jerusalem, verse 15. Moses speaks to, to, to Jehovah, saying, May Jehovah, God of spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the assembly, who shall go up before them, come in before them, who shall take them out and bring them in. Let the assembly of Jehovah not be like sheep that have no shepherd. All right. Sounds great. You will note that even in today, modern day culture, we have this leadership need. need. People tend to attach themselves to a leader of some form, lead them in a, a, a country, a business, a, a church, whatever it is, some kind of a leader. So we all have this leader requirement. Um, the leadership requirement is down here before I forget. In our nation, obviously, we have elected leaders. Because that's the theory behind it. We're supposed to elect them. Some may argue that. But we, elect, we have elected leaders that change every so often, every so, every so many term limits or whatever, or, 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 or cycle has come and gone, or we get tired of them, whatever. They get changed out. Note that in Moses, uh, the leadership is not changed out until God says it's changed out. And Joshua, same thing. God selected Joshua. Joshua's leader. He, is, he remains leader until he's changed out by the hand of God. You also know this happens periodically. For example, the kings of Israel, kings of Judah, were all leaders for their, as, long their, as long as they were kings until their time was up. And then whatever time, what, some were murdered, some died of old age, some were killed in wars. It all varied a little bit as far as when the time was up, but God is the one, theoretically, is the one who says, this person's time is over. So when God chose Joshua, he told, of course, he had to be in front of everybody else to be anointed as a leader. Called the peaceful transfer of powers, what uh, our, our modern day term for that is, uh, and it, it is how this was how this was chosen. God selected him, so we will note that when we when God selects a particular leader to do something, He has the responsibility to obviously do it. You will note there are distinct differences between Joshua and Moses. If you can name any one of them, the most dominant one, other than of course age, most dominant one would be who gets to speak to God directly. And who doesn't? Moses got to talk to God directly, didn't he? Had a meeting, prayers, whatever. Talk to God directly. Joshua doesn't. Why not? 
why doesn't Joshua get to talk to God? Was he not, not good enough? Not smart enough? Not holy enough? What was deficient to Joshua that wasn't deficient to Moses? Seems odd. Joshua's a pretty good man. He wasn't evil. He went up the mountain with Moses. He, he was the closest they got. He was Moses' protege, his, his, his uh, uh, assistant, so to speak, throughout, throughout, throughout the 40 years of wilderness wandering about. Joshua's a pretty good man. When he led the battles, he, he would speak, for example, with the, the famous battle, which he said, made the sun stand still and, and the earth stay in the valley of, um, I forget the name, name of the valley. So the earth stopped spinning, essentially, for most of a day. Better direct reception. <laughs> he, had, he, had better, he had better Wi-Fi signal, most of a better Wi-Fi signal than, than, to God than, than Joshua did. Um, there's always, obviously, as we saw in Joshua and Moses, there seems to be some kind of a degradation as time goes on between leadership to leadership. Now, I don't know that the personal life of Joshua very well at all. We don't have it recorded to us, his early career kind of thing for the 40 years. A little bit here and there, but not, not a whole lot. We know his prowess as far as ability to fight and, 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 and uh, create war. But we also know some of his weaknesses. If you recall, one of the weaknesses was he was able to be deceived in the form of when uh, the Gibeonites, these Gibeonites uh, came to Joshua and the leadership of Israel where they were trying to conquer the land and said, hey, we're from a far country, right? Here's the old bread, moldy bread, old wineskins, yeah, worn out clothing. In order to deceive them, and he fell for it instead of asking. He didn't ask Eleazar to check for him, verify this was true. He made a judgment call on his own, based on his senses. That was Joshua, I'm not saying he's a bad man in any magical ways, probably t- a thousand times better than I am. But he made a mistake and tried to use his own understanding. He judged, he judged by the sight of his eyes, the hearing of his ears, instead of using the word of God to judge for him as Moses' decision-making process was done. You'll note even the simple things like Zelophehad's daughters, Moses went to God and let God make that judgment call. Anybody could have made this decision. But Moses specifically said, no, we'll wait. We'll talk to God. And the guy with the, who, was catch, who was caught collecting sticks, they said, put him aside. Moses said, wait. Now, Moses already knew what the rule was. It was execution. He said, well, let's go to God. He went to God every time. So even though Moses knows the rule, he knows how it's supposed to be applied, he doesn't. Every time he goes and double checks with God. Repeatedly, this is how his process works. There's a reason why Moses was called the humblest of all men. Even though he knew how to answer the question, he knew the answers to some of these and could have easily made the judgment call, he chose not to. He chose to not use his judgment, not use the sight of his eyes, the hearing of his ears, even though they were so obvious, anybody could have made the judgment call, he chose not to. He always went to God. That shows a sign of somebody who has the power and authority to do anything they want, but doesn't. Holds it back every time, always deferring to someone who is in charge, the one who is greater than they are. That's a sign of, a, of an impressively humble leader. So, in the case of Joshua, he went to God many times, apparently, as far as our, what we appear, what it appears to be. 
But there are certain things he made his own judgment calls, at least on that occasion. Maybe others too, I'm not remembering all of them. Instead of going to God for it, that's an interesting problem to have. Um, if, if you recall, for example, in the instance when Joshua sent men to go conquer the small town of Ai, and he sent them off and they were defeated before them and lost like 30 some odd guys or 40, 40 people something were killed. So, well, what happened here? Now, Joshua made the judgment call by sending spies out, assessing the size of the town, and then partitioning off individuals. So, he, I think 3,000 men he sent, something like that, to go off and go fight them. Uh, Isaac points out he's more of a military commander as opposed to a, 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 a religious leader. That's it's a fair assessment because um, that was his, what his prowess was, was military fighting. So, uh, so he made this judgment call. He made this call on I, and of course went not knowing that had he inquired with Elazar and the, 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 as far as the priest, what's going on here, what's happening, what should I do next, he may have gotten the information that Achan or Achan had stolen stuff from Jericho, and he should not have attacked I. He had to take care of that. Went to the Urim and Tumim to cast lots to find Achan. Had it in confess, of course, of course, Achan and his family are killed for it. And then he says, now let's go and attack I, and, we'll, and this will be just fine. And, and they did a different, different methodology. So Joshua had to learn at least those two instances that don't judge by the sight of your eyes, the hearing of your ears. You have to judge by God instead. And Moses knew that and did a better job with that than Joshua did. So even though we think of Joshua as a great man, wonderful, godly, fought well, uh, it claimed to fame as, hey, me and my house is the Lord, you're the famous, famous quotes there in the, in the Bible. He still had the same problem that all men have. We make personal judgment calls as opposed to diligently inquiring of God what he, want, what he wants of us. We think, well, that's going to answer every little judgment call. You may be right, but you may not be. So reality is Moses did a better job of making those decisions, of ch- talking to God first more so than Joshua did. So we look for leaders, whether it be our personal leader of our nation or of our culture or of our household, whatever it is, look for one that diligently inquires from God as opposed to making their own judgment call. I'm guilty of it. I make my judgment calls. and Sometimes I'm wrong and sometimes I get caught. Oops, bad judgment call. Oops, I, made, I, I was inconsistent. Uh, I, should, I said this one three weeks ago or a month ago. and oh, I, I changed my mind over here. Oops. We all do that. We're all human. Make judgment calls, and we may, we may be consistency may, may, may be a little weak at times on certain topics. I totally get that. I'm not pin, not uh, uh, picking on anybody, but reality is in the case of Joshua and Moses, we have those two major character changes. Moses is more diligent in following and deferring. Sorry, deferring to God. Moses was obviously more humble in that that process than Joshua's deferring to God. He was not quite as humble in that process. And Joshua, the only one who did it, uh, the other leaders also later on, the book of Judges records a number of them, have similar problems. Uh, in the case, obviously, the attacking of, uh, of, of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, that they asked of God who should go up and attack Benjamin when they were killing off in Gibeon, the town of Gibeon, to, to execute them for, for, the, for, the, for the murder of the Levite's concubine with the whole raping of men and such. It was bizarre. Um, it's similar to what Sodom and Gomorrah went through. They went to, who gets to kill Benjamin first? And they asked the Urim, okay, yeah, sure, Judah goes first. As opposed to, God, what should we do about this? Why has this happened, God? What do we do? What, what is the proper solution? So they made judgment calls and they partially inquired, but not diligently, not thoroughly. 
to have an explanation given to them what they should be doing, what's going on, what, is, what has gone wrong with our culture. They didn't do that type of inquiry. That type of inquiry that Moses would have gone through, not the inquiry that they went through. So even though later on, the judges also had similar problems. You're right. As you pointed out, Moses probably would not have had the problem with the Gibeonites to start with. That's probably true. But uh, it probably would have stopped earlier. But anyway, so we have leadership. There's different kind of leadership. So we have the military leadership, which sounds great when you're fighting wars. You also have cultural leadership, which they, I want you to do this, do that, or whatever. So we have a civil type of system. But the goal is to have leaders that are humble in their leadership, not dominant, overpowering, and forceful. Not saying you don't have strong leaders, but forceful of their own opinion as opposed to what's best in all scenarios. There's a there's, there's distinct difference between them. The Haftor portion uh, covers a little bit about it. Let's see, it is uh, in the book of, of, of Jeremiah today. The Haftor portion is Jeremiah chapter 1. It, we'll go there real quick. It talks about the, the, the nature of being selected to do something, like in this case, Joshua was selected to do something. But in Jeremiah, he's obviously, he's a prophet so to do something because Jeremiah, is, he's being commissioned. This is Jeremiah chapter one, the first, uh, first chapter and a few verses, the next one. Find Jeremiah chapter one here. It's somewhere right here. One more page. There it is. So this is a call of prophecy. So much like Joshua was called, so God selected him. Well, God, God also selected Jeremiah. For instead of a military leadership, Jeremiah was, it was more of a moral prophet type of leadership that he was supposed to do as far as guiding of the land. Now, to be fair, uh, Jeremiah, as it says here, the son of Hilkiah of the Kohen, the priests who are in Anot in the land of Benjamin. So Jeremiah and his descendancy, these are the exile priests. So um, a little, little heads up. Levi was broken up into two different categories later on, many, many years later. And so uh, Jeremiah's family line was still of the Levite high priest line, but they weren't allowed to serve as priests. They were excluded from that service. Uh, and that, so it, was, it went to the other line instead. And he, he, was, not, he was allowed to, to be in the temple, allowed to exist there, but could not act as a high priest. So even though his family line was part of it, he couldn't be part of it. So he was, he was dropped into the regular priests that, that even though they have high priest blood in them, they would serve as regular priests that were not high priests as far as other services in other towns and villages. So Jeremiah is part of the priestly line, even though he's not a high priest and he has high priest blood in them. His family was exiled because that's all the Kohenim that went to Anot that in the land of Benjamin, that's where they went. They were exiled there. That's recorded earlier in, 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 our, in our Tanakhs as far as where they were exiled. So that's where he's from. He's one of this group that was exiled for misconduct and such. So this is Jeremiah, his, not that he was exiled, but his, his, his ancestors were. Um, and he's just part of them. In the land of Benjamin, uh, verse 2, this is Jeremiah 1, a word of verse 2. Who in the word of Jehovah came the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. Uh, it, the word that came to him also in the days of, of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until Jerusalem was exiled in the fifth month. The word of Yahweh came to me saying, Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. Before you left the womb, I sanctified you. I established you as a prophet unto the nations. 
But I said, Alas, my Lord, Yehovah Elohim, see, I do not know how to speak, for I am just a youth. Then Yehovah said, Do not say I am just a youth. Rather, wherever I shall send you, you shall go, and whatever I shall command you, you shall speak. Do not fear them, for I am with you to rescue you. The word of Yehovah. Then Yehovah extended his hand and touched my mouth. And Yehovah said to me, Behold, I have placed my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to uproot and smash, to destroy, overthrow, to build, and to plant. Pause. So Jeremiah's commission, even though he didn't feel qualified, didn't feel justified, didn't feel right in doing what God has asked him to do, do, God doesn't care. It doesn't matter what you felt about, about what you thought you were qualified for. I'm selecting you to do something. So every once in a while, some people, maybe in our little group here, may have been called to do something, whatever the case would be, and thought, yeah, I can't do that. That's bigger than me. That's too hard for me. I can't do that. that that's beyond my ability. It's, it's too much for me to do. I can't lead my family there. I can't lead my life there. I can't lead at all in doing this capacity. That, totally understand that. I get that. But God disagreed with Jeremiah. Jeremiah the same excuse. I can't do this. I, I'm, I'm a child. I can't, I can't speak. I can't go teach people who, who wouldn't even listen to me. I'm, I'm, I'm a kid. And I said, it doesn't matter. I disagree with you. You're going to do it anyway. So Jeremiah does so, of course. So this commission that he has is a difficult task. He doesn't want it. But God said, you're going to do it. In case of, Jer- of Joshua, we don't know what he wanted or didn't want. But God said, you're going to do it. We do know Moses didn't want it at all. And God said, you're going to go do it. So when God put it upon these men, they're of a unique character enough to realize, they, to, 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 to delineate between their own personal wants and desires and fears versus God's instruction. Now, I, like all men, I have issues with that too, as far as what, what I have fears of things that I do or don't want to do. I have things that I think are too big for me. I can't handle them. Uh, God, take it away or don't let me do that, that kind of thing. But reality is, when God says, you're going to go do something, I've chosen to do something, then go do it. It's not uh, easy to say, of course. I'm just I'm talking at you through a computer screen. Uh, it's easy to say, harder to do. But it's not, it's not easy to do either. Uh, it's it easy to say either in the case of, of these men. Very few of us would tell God no, assuming he's speaking to you directly. Most would be afraid to do that. But Jeremiah is quite clear, no, I can't do this. I'm not fit for this. God says, yes, you are. I've selected you. This is what you're going to do. So th- th- it, it's, it's interesting selection. <laughs> yeah, if God may choose somebody else. That's true if you, if you absolutely refuse. But in this case, obviously, Joshua had, or sorry, Jeremiah had a particular viewpoint of his own life, and his fear of God was strong enough. He said, okay, this, even though it, I believe it is beyond me, I will do it anyway. There's an old saying that says, uh, if, if you don't believe in yourself, it doesn't matter who believes in you. Uh, if you can't you don't believe you can succeed, it doesn't matter if I think you can or vice versa. So you can, if you don't believe you can do it, then you won't. It doesn't matter if anybody else thinks you can do it. In this case, Joshua didn't, or sorry, Jeremiah did not believe he could do it, but God said, yes, you can, and Jeremiah believed him. Uh, Rose, I think, pointed out earlier, the difference between believing in God and believing him. Well, Jeremiah believed in God, and Jeremiah believed God. So, okay, I, I don't think I can do it, but you say I can, therefore I will. And of course he does. Tell you what, in verse 11, the word of Jehovah came to me saying, what do you see, Jeremiah? I said, I see a staff of an almond tree. He said to me, you have seen well, for I hasten to fulfill my word. 
the word of Yehovah came to me a second time. I said, what do you see? I said, I, said, I see a, bubbly, a bubbling pot. Its spout is facing northward. Yehovah said to me, from the north, the evil will be released upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, the word of Yehovah, and they shall come and teach of them, shall this place, and each of them shall place his throne at the entrance of Jerusalem's gates, by all the walls round about, relative to Judah. I shall pronounce my judgments against Judah for all their evil, for they have forsaken me and burned incense to the gods of others, and prostrate themselves to their own handiwork. As for you, gird up your, you shall gird up your loins, get up and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be frightened of them, lest I let you be broken before them. Behold, I have set you this day as a fortified city, an iron pillar, and copper walls against the entire land, against the kings of Judah, against its leaders, against its priests, against the people of the land. They will wage war against you, but will be unable to defeat you, for I am with you. The word of Jehovah to rescue you. So now not only is Josh, or Jeremiah getting this information to say, hey, you're going to go do this, because Jeremiah says, I, I'm not capable, I'm not a very good speaker, I can't do this. I said, oh no, you're doing it anyway, and I'm going to make your life miserable, the process. <laughs> Thanks, God. Yeah. You're going to do this, your life's going to be miserable. You're going to hate it. It's going to be hard. You'll think you're going to die. And sometimes I mean, Jeremiah was curious with the whole in the, in the cesspool pit. Um, he may have died. I barely survived. But you think you're going to die. That's okay. Your life's going to be awful. It's going to be worse than you imagine. But that's all right. You make it through. Again, it shows the character of Jeremiah. He didn't think he could do it, but he believed God and therefore transferred that to believing in himself too. Right. Yeah, I can say, yeah. If you say no, God say, yeah, I'm going to get rid of you now, replace you with something else. Um, that, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, yeah well, they're, 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 actually, many of the prophets did not die a nice death. You're right, son. Many of them died an unpleasant death. And so J- Jeremiah has to accept the fact that they'll be able to, 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 to defeat you. So God's guaranteeing a promise they won't actually successfully kill you, um, which is good, but it doesn't mean they won't come close. <laughs> no, he won't come any close to you. He didn't specify they wouldn't even try. Yeah. Well, some, some, some of them died. I think uh, uh, tradition is J- Isaiah was cut in half with a, with a, with a saw, and uh, so the others were slaughtered, which being cut in half with a saw is probably a pretty gruesome way of going. Anyway, chapter 2. The word of Jehovah can be saying, Go and call out the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Jehovah, I recall for you the kindness of your youth, the love of your nuptials, you are following me in the wilderness and to an unsown land. Israel's holy Jehovah, the first of his crops, all who devour it will be held guilty. Evil shall come upon them, the word is the word of Jehovah. Hear the word of Jehovah, O house of Jacob and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus is Jehovah, what wrong did your forefathers find in me? They distanced themselves from me and pursued futility and became futile. But they did not say, where is Jehovah who brought us to the land of Egypt, who led us to the wilderness, the land of the desert, and pit in a land of waste and the shadow of death, in a land through which no man passed, there was no person settled? I brought you to a fruitful land to eat its fruit and bounty, but you came and contaminated my land and made my heritage into an abomination. The Kohanim did not say, where is Jehovah? Those charged with teaching the Torah did not know me. 
The shepherds rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, and they went after those that cannot avail them. Therefore, I will yet contend with you, this is the word of Jehovah, and with your children's children, I will contend to traverse the isles, the Kittites, and observe and send, for, send forth into Kedar and consider deeply and see whether there has ever been such a thing. Has a nation ever been exchanged its gods, though they are not genuine gods? Yet my people has exchanged its glory for something of no avail. Be astounded, O heavens, over this. Rage forth in storm. Be greatly devastated. The word of Yahweh, for my people has committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the source of living waters, to dig for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That's, those are the words that, of course, God is condemning them for, for what they've done. As it points out here, Sight said, hey, we, nobody bothered to inquire, where is God? What does he want us to do? We discussed a moment ago, a little while ago, that Joshua's, yeah, the Joshua's failure is his lack of, lack of steadiness and always inquiring of what does God want us to do? Because Moses always asked. Moses always inquired. But Joshua, he had some, some failures, and occasionally he didn't inquire. And those, he stumbled as a result. Well, he's pointing out here in Jeremiah, hey, you guys aren't asking. This is your failure leaders. This is your failure prophets. This is your failure priests. You aren't asking me, where am I and what do I want them to do? You're not inquiring. This is, this, this is what d- d- uh, dissolves you into being unfunctional or worthless leaders. Hence, I'm going to send this army to wipe you out and take you away and, and get you out of here. This is unfit for you. So when it, when it comes to leadership and a transfer of power, yeah, it's great and all to have peaceful transfer of power but peaceful transfer of power from one to the next is worthless when the next one is, is, is not inquiring of God. All it results in destruction, as we see here with Jeremiah. If you don't inquire of God, regardless of your position you hold, it doesn't make you worth anything. In other words, you're worthless as far as the leader is concerned. So that's, that, that is, it is a, be always cognizant aware of when you deal with leadership and leaders of whatever they are leader of. doesn't make a difference. If they are inquiring of God or are they not? Are they making their own judgment calls based on what they feel that day? Like someone says, I feel like a sandwich today, therefore you have a sandwich or a pizza. Whatever your feeling emotions happen to be, that's one thing. That's not a very useful leader because your, your emotions flip, are, are flippant. You're from place to place or your thoughts are flippant. Think about this, think about that, and it goes back and forth. You're, you're triple or quadruple minded in, in, in these cases. So they're not very useful. You want to leave steady. He was humble in inquiry. Uh, ones who are not humble are quite obvious, but those who are humble are usually less obvious. So it is useful to have that as a, as, as a check on your own behavior or my own behavior. When I say, okay, am I making a judgment call based on my personal thoughts and what I hear in my, hearing in my ears or seeing in my eyes? Or am I inquiring of God? What did he actually ask of me to do in these situations? It's important to note that's how leaders are supposed to be functional. And of course, Messiah was a good example of that. We won't go there today because I'm not out of time. But uh, these are the details which we look at when we look for leaders is the humbleness of Moses. Is that in them or is it not in them? Let's see here. And I think that's, about, that's the extent of which I'll cover today regarding the, the portion of Phineas, uh, Pinchas, which was uh, in the numbers. We might cover more of it next time. I'm not quite sure. Any comments or questions regarding this Torah portion? We covered today regarding Phineas. 
uh, or Jeremiah or Joshua or Moses, the leadership ability or, or, or failure thereof or skill level. Uh, any comments or questions regarding this Torah portion I can answer for you now, else we'll, we'll, we'll close soon. No? No questions or comments? All right, we'll go ahead and close the prayer then. Almighty God, I'm grateful to thank you for our Shabbat. Thank you for the kindness you've given to us, our time with one another over, over studying your way of life, your instructions for life, and how to how to live our lives in a way that is, is, is good for you and in the way which you want us to live. Although we are your servants as best we can as, as parents, as friends, as loved ones, as service to you, that we are examples to our children and to our, our neighbors, our neighborhoods, to people we live, live with and our, our, our work, wherever we are, Father, we are examples to you everywhere. May we continue to be humble people so that you are in charge and you are the one who makes these decisions. It is not us who decides, but rather you do. But help us to be aware of that and be willing workers, willing servants to go wherever you wish for us to go. We ask your blessings on us, Father, and continue to bless the path that we are on in the future, that as Moses departs, Father, and the people forgot his instructions, may we never forget your instructions. May we always remember, may we not be like Manasseh, the forgetful one. May we be like the one who remembers. Father, we are your people, and help us to be good, useful people. We glorify you and praise you in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.